Well, good morning, Grace Place family. Um, it is a true honor to speak with you today, and quite frankly, very nerve-wracking for me. Uh, this is the first time uh, that I'm going to share the word in this format, and I'm very grateful to Pastor Allen uh, to give me this opportunity to share with you what God has been sharing with me uh, throughout the Beatitudes. I do want to say, though, I, it was probably just so he could have an extra weekend off. So um, <laughs> here I am. Um, if you do have your Bible or Bible app with you today, you can find the Beatitudes beginning in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, last week, Pastor Michelle urged us, uh, and I'd like to reiterate, uh, to really find some time to read through the Beatitudes, um, and especially going on to the Sermon on the Mount. While many of these uh, quick remarks by Jesus appear to be easy to understand with relatively easy language, um, and we can all agree that it seems simple, uh, I think Jesus included an immense amount of depth in each line. And my guess is that he knew with us being humans, uh, with not always the best memory, especially I, um, just to make it simple. And so that um, when those uh, around him that found him would, would want to dig deeper and find that true meaning of what he was actually sharing with us. So Matthew chapter 5 will be in the Beatitudes. And I want to say that the verse that we're focusing on today is no exception. Uh, while only the second line in the Beatitudes, in Matthew 5, 4, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And if you're reading this on the surface level, this seems to be telling us that God will comfort us when we lose someone we love. But let's break this verse down just a bit. It says, Blessed are those, which blessed essentially means happy. But then it says, blessed are those who mourn, which equates to those who mourn will be happy. But what is mourning? Mourning can be characterized by grieving, sorrow, or weeping over the death of someone we love. Um, so this beatitude is essentially saying those who grieve, sorrow, weep, or lose someone will be happy. At first, it doesn't make much sense because mourning is kind of the opposite of happiness. I think we can all agree on that, right? Well, when it comes to grieving the loss of someone, Paul actually does tell us in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 that we as believers and followers of Christ do not grieve as those who have no hope because we believe in a God that has resurrected Jesus from the grave and that he will soon return to unite his kingdom and bring heaven on earth. Amen? Now, with that being said, when you or someone you know is mourning the death of a loved one, being assured that they're in a better place or they're under God's promise is not always the first thing that they want to hear right away, right? So while God's promise is true and always relevant, sometimes in the moment people need to actually go through the mourning process in order for them to allow God to pour into their hearts and to help fill that empty void and ultimately grow their spirit where they can continue to walk in faith. To emphasize what I'm trying to say here, mourning is a process, right? It's truly a process. I'm sure many people in this room have lost someone that they love. It's not easy, and they don't call it the five or seven stages of grief for nothing, right? I remember when I lost my dad. It was seven years ago this Christmas. And I was in my second to last semester of my undergrad, and I just proposed to uh, Amanda, now my wife and mother, uh, to my beautiful daughter, and second daughter soon to be, uh, very soon, might I add, um, if you haven't noticed. 
And uh, <coughs> so my dad went through kind of a health scare around Thanksgiving of that year in 2014. But uh, after that, everything seemed to kind of settle down, uh, at least from my perspective. Um, and one weekend here at church, actually, we had a guest speaker from SAGU. Um, and at, at an, during an altar call, he, uh, he actually pointed out my dad and he said, I have a word for you. I, I know that you're going to go through something. But at the end of it all, that God is going to bring you to a place that you can worship him like never before. And I can't tell you how much that meant to him and what it meant to my family. We were convinced that this little health scare was going to bring my dad closer to God. That's, we were convinced that's what that word meant. Now, I am very grateful that I, I had a very godly man uh, like my dad to look up to. But we felt that maybe this was just going to be a really great season. Um, and my dad was going to do things um, that he had never done before, and that God was going to deliver him through this sickness, and that we were on the up. Well, a few weeks later passed, and as we were approaching the week of Christmas, and things started to go downhill, and he was back in the hospital. And he was diagnosed with an aggressive form of leukemia, AML. And uh, we were devastated. Uh, but we were not without hope. My family and I put together these posters uh, full of pictures and notes and Bible verses, and we put them together to bring to my dad's room in the hospital. And I remember vividly hanging on to that verse, and you know which verse I'm about to say, Jeremiah 29:11. And it was centered right on one of those posters, and I held on to that promise for not just my dad, but my entire family. And I'd spent the night with him and got to uh, talk about some good things, some bad things, life, and honestly, just shared some jokes and some smiles. It was a nice time. But then the next day, my mom came to swap with me and uh, so I could get to the church uh, for the Christmas Eve service. And I remember telling my dad that I loved him, and he told me the same. And later that evening, during the candlelight service, I got a call from my mom that he'd been moved to the ICU and that I should get there as soon as possible. Family and church family alike all rushed there with me, and within what just feels like moments of being there by my dad's side, a team was rushing into my dad's room as alarms and lights started to go off, and to be honest, I was just in complete shock. I remember begging God in that moment to save him, and honestly, I offered all the typical things, like, God, if you just save my dad, I will fill in the blank here, right? Anything and everything I could offer to God was on the table at that point. I just wanted to save my dad. And that begging evolved into a statement that I repeated over and over and over as the team continued to try and stabilize my dad's body that was shutting down. I said, Lord, if you are who you say you are, then let my dad live. And in just moments, I believe the Holy Spirit came upon me and God spoke directly into my heart and said, be still and know that I am God. It honestly, in the strangest sense, became a pure moment of worship for me. I'm bawling my eyes out in the middle of this hospital room. My dad is dying. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit is saying, be still and know that I am God. And it was a point of worship. And I'm surrounded by people praying, weeping, and crying to God. And the team is still doing their best to keep my dad alive. But I was continuing to repeat myself, be still 
and know that I am God. And I believe that God was ultimately preparing me for that next moment. The lead doctor calmly walked up to me and let me know that they could try to resuscitate him once more, but after that he would not recommend uh, continuing as there would be significant, if not complete, damage to all vital organs, and it would just prolong the inevitable. And after they tried just once more, I made a decision I would have never thought I would have to make for my own father. I told him to stop, and moments later, he passed away. And we stepped into the unknown as a family. We had no idea, no idea what life was going to be like without him. And I can tell you that we stepped into a season of mourning that still has remnants to this day. Now, I wanted to share this story with you because God did ultimately comfort me in the loss of my dad, but truly I want to set the tone and the atmosphere this morning for the kind of mourning process that Jesus is actually asking us to go through. You see, because when I was in there in the ICU watching my dad's body fail him, God was preparing me to deal with what we call a natural mourning or when we lose someone close to us. And I believe that when Jesus shared his Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I believe it's a twofold message, like many of Jesus' teachings, right? Jesus is, in fact, not saying that we should immediately be happy and okay when someone dies. That's not what he's saying. God does offer us consolation when we lose someone and are grieving. God comforts us when we are in mourning. God comforts us in natural mourning, and he sees the pain that we're experiencing, and he understands it, and he wants to comfort us. If you think back to Lazarus, when Lazarus was dead in that tomb and Jesus saw uh, Lazarus' sisters weeping, Jesus himself wept, right? It was actually one of my dad's favorite Bible verses, ironically enough. I think it might have had a little less to do with the actual story of the death of Lazarus, and it was more the fact that he liked knowing the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. It was a great trivia question, uh, you know, if you're like, hey, what's the shortest Bible verse? Jesus wept, all right, two words. But in the context of the Beatitudes, Jesus is asking us to enter the process of spiritual mourning. The Beatitudes are for those who have chosen to believe in and follow Christ, and they are qualities that we want to pursue and instructions on how we further our relationship with him and grow ourselves spiritually. So what Jesus is actually saying here is that we need to mourn over our own sin. You see, ultimately, our own natural death is actually linked to our own sin. Death is the result of sin. Sin leads to death. Now, I want to stop you there. I want to clarify. I'm not trying to imply that just because we sin or have shortcomings that we are immediately punished to death, okay? So don't hold your breath, all right? You're going to be okay. But if you go all the way back to Genesis, right, in the book of beginnings, you will note that in Adam and Eve's story that they were essentially in paradise, not having to worry about sin or death at all. And it wasn't until the fall of man, or the original sin, as they call it, that suddenly mankind wasn't going to live in this heavenly realm uh, forever, at least not at first anymore. This is because worldly sorrow, or sin, leads to death in the long run. And when we long for what God has not given us, or 
when we covet and are jealous of what God has not given us or what other people have, when we steal from one another, when we steal life from one another, you can go through all the, all the commandments, all the sins that you can think of. Sin leads to death. And if we choose to embrace sin and allow the enemy to speak into our lives, just as Adam and Eve did, we are destined for death. And, and, and in the spiritual sense, not just in a natural death, but an eternal death. And when we are living dead lives, worldly lives that give in to sin and short-term pleasures, God has sorrow for our spirits, true godly sorrow. Our souls should belong to him, not the world. And just like I was pleading to God on the floor of that hospital room for my dad's body to come back to life, God is reaching out to you right now and saying, please know that I am here. Know that I love you. Know that you don't need to live in sin anymore. The enemy does not speak for you, nor does he have control over your life. That you are not destined for eternal sin, but for righteousness and eternal life through my son, Jesus. And if anyone is a parent or knows a parent that has pleaded for their child, then you know the weight that is in this godly sorrow over our lives when we choose not to live in relationship with him but rather the world. You see, since the fall of man, sin is actually in all of us. We can't escape it. It's all around us. It's on the TV. It's on our phones. It's in our hearts. It's in our lives. It's in our children. It's in all of us. But in Romans 5.12, it says that we have all sinned, that we are all destined for death, that sin and death may have entered the world through Adam and Eve, but that does not necessarily take the responsibility off our own shoulders to make our own choices for our lives and for our own eternity. We are not born into that Garden of Eden, and we don't have that privilege, but I'd argue that we would all still make that same mistake initially. We are actually born into a grave of this world, and it's our choice and our cho choice alone whether to stay dead or to get out of that grave and call upon the name of Jesus as our Savior and our Comforter. I mentioned earlier that one of my dad's favorite verses it was in John 11. Jesus wept. I think, if anything, you're probably going to come away with this message knowing that that's the shortest uh, verse in the Bible. So, you're welcome. Uh, if you haven't read the story of Lazarus, I would really encourage you to do so. I feel like the story was intended for us to understand the interconnectedness of both physical and spiritual life that only Jesus can provide. Because in this story, the sisters of Lazarus come to Jesus and cry out to him. He says, or she says, Lord, the one you love is sick. And they plead to him that he, had he been there, Lazarus wouldn't have died. That he would still be physically alive had Jesus been there to save him. And although this story is about Lazarus, I want you to put yourself in the spiritual shoes of Lazarus, okay? Jesus loves you always, and sometimes we find ourselves sick with, with our own sin. Sometimes we find ourselves completely dead, right? Bear with me here, because then in John eleven twenty three, Jesus says to one of the sisters, your brother will rise again. And at that point, the sister assures Jesus that she understands her brother Lazarus will rise again on the day of resurrection. She understands that. And that's when Jesus says to her, 
I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever live <coughs> and whoever lives by believing in me will never fully die. Do you believe this? He asked her. And then the sisters began to weep and show Jesus where Lazarus's body lay in a tomb. And that's when Jesus wept. He weeps with that godly sorrow. Because when we see Lazarus in that tomb dead, we mourn along with Jesus because we see ourselves spiritually dead, stuck in that tomb, stuck in that grave. But Lazarus's body didn't stay in that tomb. Jesus calls upon the Father and shouts to the tomb and says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus walks out. He comes out of that grave and Jesus tells him to take off his grave clothes and to go live. Okay? In case this is your first time hearing the story, know that God loves you. Just as he loved Lazarus in this story. And I think ultimately God shares with us the story to allow us to see what our spiritual mourning process should look like. Because when we dig deep into that text, we see Jesus weep not for our earthly death, no, but we see God sorrow for those that are spiritually dead and still stuck in that tomb. And when we align our hearts to have godly sorrow over the sin in our lives, that produces repentance. And repentance is not just forgiveness, okay? So if that's what you grew up hearing is that if you just ask for forgiveness, then all is good. I want you to kind of rewire your brain this morning and know that repentance is not just forgiveness. It's a change of direction. It's a complete change of heart, mind, body, and soul that leads us to a new way of thinking, new actions taken, and ultimately leads us to a genuine salvation through Jesus. With our salvation comes forgiveness of sins, and with that forgiveness comes the comfort of having God's presence in our lives. And God is the comforter. We are given free will to make the choice of whether or not to be comforted by him. And like a good father, he's not going to force that upon us. And when we say, when we stay in that grave, he cries out to us to come out of that grave and to come home. And when we get out of it, we're inviting him to grant us the comfort that only he can give. So here's the takeaway. Spiritual mourning leads to repentance. Repentance leads to salvation. When you have salvation, it leads to ultimate forgiveness. And God's forgiveness brings us the comfort that he alone can provide through Christ Jesus. So let me say that one more time. Spiritual mourning leads to repentance, salvation, forgiveness, and comfort. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And when Jesus was up on that mount, he said, blessed are those who mourn. And he was calling you, a Christian, to mourn over these things that God mourns over. Whether it be the sin in your own life or the sin in another's life. You grieve and you mourn when, you, when someone dies naturally. And you should weep and cry out to God when someone is dying spiritually. You need to point your eyes up to Jesus, who's the only way to avoid a spiritual death. Now, it's important to note that Jesus is not just asking you to admit that you're a sinner, say a little prayer, and that all is good. And he's not just asking you to believe in him. 
take this opportunity to remind yourself as you sit here in this church that faith is not just a belief in certain truths like the resurrection, his miracles, the stories of the Old Testament, whatever it may be that's in his word. Believing in these stories is not what is going to change your life. Christ is the only one that can change you. When we have faith in him, that's what binds us to him. And when we repent, Christ forgives you and makes you holy. Sure, some people accept Jesus and believe in the stories of the Bible. And that's great. That's part of being a Christian. And you may go to church. You may sing songs of praise and worship. But without going through the mourning process of not just recognizing your sin and asking for forgiveness, but you have to own your sin and the consequences of it on you and others. You have to come to a place of surrender in order to find true repentance in Jesus. Because there are people in this room who may accept Jesus, but have never bowed down to his lordship over your life. And let me tell you that you're in luck, because it's definitely not too late. But if you're sitting in this room with a faith in Jesus that has not produced real change in your life and brought you down to your knees and transformed you through repentance and salvation in Jesus, then I truly beg you and ask you to listen closely to what God is stirring in your heart this morning. In John 11.25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he goes on to say, though you may die naturally, where your physical body will at some point stop. With Jesus, you will never die spiritually. And you don't have to be stuck in that grave. He says, you will live. Your body may fail you, but your soul, your soul is with him forever and always. And when you make him the Lord and leader of your life, you will never die spiritually. Through his grace, you will get out of that grave and live the life that he's called you to live. Christ is the only one that gives us hope beyond our time here on earth. Because remember back in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul says that we do not grieve like the world has no hope. And if you think about it, without the gospel, you have no hope at all. Because without Christ's resurrection, if you believe that Jesus is still in that tomb, you are still in that grave as well. If Christ has not risen, you are still buried in your sins. But you see, God has given you a radical call to faith. He has called you just like he called Lazarus to get out of that grave, to change the direction of your old ways, and to align ourselves to where God has called us to be. And he's called you not only to live, but to live purposely with spiritual intent and a longing to grow more and more into the beautiful relationship that God has intended for you to have with him. When we reflect on the bigger picture of the death of Lazarus and the choice that, of, that we have of whether to stay in the grave or to go through spiritual mourning, we ultimately see a story of potential transformation in our lives. And sometimes when I think of big transformations, but maybe on a smaller scale, I think of the humble caterpillar. Redirect. <laughs> just thought I'd break it up. It's getting pretty heavy. All right. <clears throat> when you consider the life of a typical caterpillar, I think we can all agree that they are destined ultimately 
to become a beautiful butterfly, right? I'm not quite sure if they are emotionally aware like the caterpillar from A Bug's Life uh, who just absolutely longs to become a beautiful butterfly. <laughs> but it's definitely written in their DNA uh, that they are called to become something greater and more beautiful. And what's interesting, like many of God's creatures, is that they have to go through a process. For humans to go from being children to adults, we have to go through puberty and a myriad of other crazy and confusing things. But unlike most other creatures, caterpillars have to go through metamorphosis in order to come out completely changed and almost a completely different creature altogether. And what's interesting about metamorphosis is how uncomfortable it must be for those caterpillars. I mean, think about it. At first, you're enjoying your squishy life of eating leaves. And then one day, something clicks, and you're like, I have to make the decision to wrap myself in this mess of a cocoon, stay in the dark for super long, likely compacted and uncomfortable as can be. But then, as a caterpillar, you know that there's beauty at the end of the process. And imagine if these caterpillars just decided not to become what God has called them to be. What if caterpillars are just content being caterpillars if they just decided well metamorphosis seems pretty hard and I don't think I can handle the uh, darkness and the dampness of it all and well uh, what's the big deal about being a butterfly anyway imagine I feel like the world would be much less colorful springtime and seasons would not have the beauty of a thousand butterflies traveling around sometimes landing on your finger if you're lucky and seeing their wings their colors and designs uh, it's such a sight to see. Such a small creature, but so much beauty that God packed into their design for the world to see. Hopefully you see where I'm going here. While the humble caterpillar may not be the best metaphor for a life of sin, I believe it is a great example, example where beauty is at the end of the process. And like the caterpillar, we cannot just be content in living our own lives the way we see fit repeating sins, and assuming forgiveness, right? Sometimes we just assume it. This is not spiritual mourning. Spiritual mourning requires us to go through our own metamorphosis, wrap ourselves up, right, and a great change in order to obtain God's promise. You see, when we decide to follow Christ, we will go through hours and moments and sometimes seasons where we have to allow ourselves to get uncomfortable in order to find the comforter. God has designed us in a way to seek a, a relationship with him. And like the caterpillar, we must take the first step towards a great transformation. We have to go through the darkness. We have to go through the mess. We wrap ourselves in a cocoon of those grave clothes that Lazarus was wrapped in in that tomb and when he died. We have to unravel ourselves from the sin of this world, and through Jesus Christ, we can become the beautiful creation that God has designed us to be. When the caterpillar begins to weave that cocoon around itself, it trusts the process that by the end of it all, it will indeed become a butterfly. And for us, we must trust in the process that Jesus has laid out for us. And beyond that, we must have a hope in Jesus that when we repent, we find true forgiveness and salvation because with Jesus, spiritual mourning is infused with hope. And because of this hope we have in Jesus, we can be rest assured that we aren't doing this alone, right? Can I get an amen that we are not doing this alone? I see all of your faces. 
God's presence is in this room. We are not doing this alone, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus knew on the cross every single sin that had ever happened, and he knew what would happen in the future, and yet he still chose to go through the process. It was prophesied in Isaiah that Jesus would take on our, our sins as his own and accept a brutal physical death in order to bring us eternal life. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And there is hope in Jesus. And Jesus is our comforter because he took our place of sinful death so that we can live. So that we can live in the comfort of hope that he brings by finding us when we're spiritually dead, calling us out of the grave to come back to him. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up as we review some of the things that we talked about today. If you were to only take a few things away from today's message, here's what I'd like you to remember. Number one, spiritual mourning is about the sin in our life. Number two, God can only comfort us with true repentance. True repentance. And number three, Jesus is calling you to live your life with hope. This message was not intended to bring anyone down today. We mourn naturally, we mourn spiritually, but we have a hope through both of it. My question this morning is, do you believe that there is hope in Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way and the only one who can deliver you from where you are? I know that there are people in this room and there are people online today that think they've been in their grave for far too long to be redeemed. That you've let your spiritual body decay to the point where people might even be noticing. Maybe you've become complacent with a sin in your life. Maybe you've embraced it as part of your identity. Or you look past sin in your life and assume forgiveness because you're just going through the spiritual motions, right? You're here at church. You read your Bible every once in a while. You pray. That's great. But sometimes we're just going through the spiritual motions. Let me tell you this morning that God is speaking to you right now. He sees you in that grave alone and buried in things of this world. But he's holding his hand out. He's shouting, come out. Come out of that grave. Come out of that grave so that I can comfort you. So that you can experience true life through God's grace and Jesus' sacrifice. He's calling you out of that grave this morning. If you are, if you are stuck in that grave, or think you might be stuck in that grave, but maybe you're not aware, maybe it's too dark to actually tell, I want you to make your way up to the front this morning. We're going to have Pastor Allen and anyone else that's available uh, up here and ready to pray with you. Now, you may be holding back, and I totally understand that, because you don't feel you are necessarily stuck in a grave. But I need to ask you that if you have a sin you're fighting, if you have an addiction you're dealing with, a jealousy that you can't shake, a sorrow that you're dealing with, no matter the circumstance, you're invited up here. So if you need prayer, please come. You have, to be, you have to want to be done with your old ways this morning. 
you have to want repentance. You have to want salvation. You have to want forgiveness. You have to want to find the true comfort and hope that is only found in Jesus. It's not about feeling ashamed. It's about taking the first step, taking action, and changing directions. We have Alan up here who can pray and mourn along with you if you're going through something. The altar is open to all who have decided that they're going to mourn what God is mourning in their own lives. And Lord, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, that you are speaking to us, Lord, about our own spirits, about our souls, Lord, that should belong to you and not this world. And God, we just pray that you just call us out of that grave this morning. God, that you remind us, Lord, of the sin that we are buried in. Lord, we, sometimes we don't even realize that we're in a grave or, Lord, that we're trapped behind a tomb. But God, I just pray that you ignite our hearts, ignite our spirits, Lord. Convict us of what we know we're going through, God. And Lord, let us try and, try and find true repentance through you. God, we have learned that repentance is not just forgiveness, Lord. It is a change of heart, of mind, of soul, of body, of mind. God, we just thank you, Lord, for what you're going to be doing in our lives. And Lord, we just give you the praise and the honor and the glory, Lord, that you uh, open our eyes, Lord, uh, to the sin in our life, Lord, the going through the spiritual motions, God. I just pray that you shake that in us and stir us this morning, Lord, so that we can come out stronger. And Lord, so that we can come out of that grave and so that we can live, that we can find hope in you and hope in Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.